This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the latest edition of First Down Snapcast. Tonight I'm joined by fellow analysts Ian, Charles and Stuart and we have our special guest from Hawaii and Jeff Reinbold. How's everyone doing tonight? Very good. Very well, thank you. It's excellent that you've got time to join us, Jeff, on this show. Um, going to be discussing a bit of news and then the guys have got some questions we've got from the group and just some personal questions for yourself. Gotcha. And if you like to, any of our topics, what we discuss, obviously you'll have probably... A better, better side view and side of it to what we have. We're just four idiots who try and think we know what we're doing. <laughs> I don't even think that, to be fair. What about that? Pitching us a bit high. Then I'm, a, I'm the fifth. I'm the fifth idiot. Then <laughs> you're going well with us, then. NFL news and rumors. So the first discussion point tonight is Dak Prescott. Is the new contract good for Dallas or Dak? Um, who wants to I start? start? Jeff's going to start. Are you starting, Jeff? Go on. Yeah, because I think this is really interesting. You know, Jerry got pounded in the media for the contract. You know, and but I'm going to tell you something. I think this is a, this is one of those win-win-win deals because if you're the Cowboys, if you're a Cowboys fan, certainly, you know, Zach is Zach is. Proven, you know, even though it's not a great big sample size, right, five years or whatever, that he is, you know, a, certainly a very, very, very good, I don't know if he's an elite yet level quarterback yet, but he's certainly a very, very good quarterback. And he's a great guy. He's a great ambassador for the Cowboys. He's a great locker room guy. He's a great teammate um, for, the, for Mike McCarthy and the staff. It's a huge get because you don't have to go out and draft one. You, you know, again, obviously he's coming off of a, a bad injury, but again, today in today's NFL, with the way the medical people are, it's so much better than it used to be in the past. 
I, I anticipate he'll be full speed when he gets back to camp. Uh, and then if you look at it from the Cowboys standpoint, from a financial standpoint, or whether it's Jerry Jones or whomever you're talking about, um, by the way they structured the deal, guys, if they had capped him, which they were going to have to do to keep him, or, you know, they did cap him, and then they, you know, obviously kept negotiating the contract, but they saved $15 million a year uh, to the, towards their salary cap by not tagging him. So that's huge. And then when you consider that in the future, the, the salary cap, which is based on revenues, it's going to be next year artificially sh- small. 180 some million what well, was 193 million this year so um i i think i think it's really important that people understand that you know the cap is going to go back up again and so that contract is not going to um uh, that contract is not going to balloon when the cap balloons so he will create even more space inside the cap going forward now the other thing that's a win is certainly for Dak because 120 of it's guaranteed 66 million of it is in a signing bonus and 77 million of it he gets to earn in the first year now of that 66 million dollar signing bonus the way the, the salary cap works is they can prorate that over the five years of the contract so that $66 million signing bonus, which seems obscene to us, if he stays and plays that whole five years, which he should, based on his age and everything else, it's a $10 million a year signing bonus, or 12 or 14 or whatever you want to, if you're a math guy, right? I'm not a math guy. Yeah. And then, then for that, he would get, at the end of that five years, he would get a chance to test the market again. So I think there are a lot of winners in this situation and, you know, not the least of which is the National Football League, which gets, the, you know, another one of its stars in a star city. Yeah, I think so. We, we touched on it last week because Ian's a Dallas fan. I am a Cowboys uh, fan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, uh, Richard and I, before we came on, we were talking about the, how the salary cap's going to rise quite substantially over the next couple of years. So it makes that, like you say, it makes that salary... It, after this year, yeah, it's not going to be that big hit that it looks like it might be. And they're actually paying him less this year than they were last year because of the franchise tag. So, yeah. Right. It's, and, and one little point I do have to get is that the Eagles are paying more for Carson Wentz this year than the Cowboys are paying for Dak this year. <laughs> oh, now, now that, that was spoken like with true Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if Ian gets a chance, Jeff, he will always get that in at an eagle at yeah. Eagles. They're not quite my favourite team, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's amazing is I've heard I heard guys and, and Neil and I discussed this on Inside the Huddle the other day, that you know, people are saying, Well, how can you pay Dak Prescott more than, than Russell Wilson? Or how do you pay Dak Prescott more than Watson or more than uh, Aaron Rodgers? Well fellas, face it, that's the business. Every every contract is going to have you're paying you're paying your superstars more than you know the the contract that was negotiated yeah. the year before or two years before or certainly five years before. That's business because the bar is continually raised. Now next year or this off season or whatever, when those guys go back in and renegotiate their contracts, 
they'll leapfrog this contract. That's just the way it works. Do you think that the um, the Cowboys' management backed themselves into a corner a bit, though, with this deal, especially because they had such a bad season last last year, and they, they perhaps got a bit desperate to make sure they, they landed the big stellar signing? Well, I mean, yeah, you can look at it in that, in that way, but every time you sign a player, every time you sign a player from his rookie contract to his last contract, there's risk involved. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and you know, if, if, if you can't deal with that, if you can't deal with that criticism or potential failure or whatever, then you're never going to negotiate a contract because – I mean, it's just, it's like going into free agency, fellas. We're about ready to leap off into free agency. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to overpay for all of them, every one of them. But that's the business. That's the supply and demand economics of the business, right? So, you know, is it is it right to give a guy $77 million front-loaded contract and a $66 million signing bonus? I don't know. You can argue it all you want to argue it, but the fact is that's what the market bears, right? Is it is it fair that you're paying, I don't know, two pounds in a liter at the gas station? I don't know, but that's what the market bears, right? So we can argue those kind of things all we want. Yeah, Stuart made a good point last week that Dak was throwing his, got his stats with every 4 six, he was chasing games, but when Dak went down, Andy Dalton came in, other people came in, but there were no way, they couldn't represent what Dak was doing, so it sort of also made the decision a bit easier to say, we need to keep Dak. If we're not going to go out and get someone, we need to be putting all our eggs. We need to get Dak signed down for the rest of five years. I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, who, when you're talking about who you're going to go out and get somebody, who are you going to get that's better than him, right? It's always it's always easier to say. It's like San Francisco 49er fans right now. They, they want to jettison Jimmy G right away, right? Like right now, let's get rid of him. Well, who are you going to get better Right. It's one thing to say you're going to get you need to get rid of him, but who are you going to get better? And if you're think, if you think that the draft is some there ain't any of them that any of them that you can say, well, I know this guy is going to be a can't miss guy. Right. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. I mean, just it doesn't work that way. And history tells us that. So which risk do you want to take? Do you want to take a risk on a guy who's been there, done it at the highest level against NFL competition, or do you want to take that risk with a college kid that's never thrown a down, thrown a ball a down in in pro football? I know me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the veteran who's been there, done it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week because we said the exact same thing about McVeigh and the Rams. And they, they very much have that opinion of they would rather use their first-round picks to go out and get themselves proven players in the football league than take a risk on a, 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 a kid from college. And we, we literally said that last year. I mean, my personal opinion is that I think it's going to be harder this year for those free agents because the drafts, the, the cap's gone from 198 million down to 182 and a half. So I think those free agents this year are probably going to get a little bit less than they would have done if they'd have gone a free agent in previous years, just because there's not going to be as a, as much of a bidding war for them. But on the Dak Prescott, 
a player is only worth what somebody's willing to pay him. And in this instance, you know, the Cowboys are willing to give him the money. And I think he probably put a lot of demons to rest with his performance at the start of last year because I was certainly taken back with how he performed. And I think he elevated that Cowboys team above what actually the sum of its parts was. And that was proven when he went injured that they kind of capitulated a little bit. Um, so I, me personally, I think it's it's a good deal but I think that um, the free agents this year are going to be probably getting a little bit less than they would have done if they'd have gone free agency in any other year. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. But, again, see, here's the thing that I think everybody's got to understand. You know, you, you look at when you do a deal, and, and I'm going to have an agent on my show this week to try and explain to the, to the fans how the agent works in negotiating a contract a free agent contract, right? There's a lot of factors that go into it. And every year there's a different factor. So, for example, uh, and this guy's my agent, and so we've talked about this. He, he negotiated a punter's contract a couple years ago, and, it, and, he, and he sent him to a dome city for less than he would have made going outdoors, but he knew that his production numbers would be higher in the dome because no, no win factors and that he would, he had a chance to recoup that money because his performance bonuses. Right. And it worked out exactly that way. So the same thing's true with all these free agents, right? Their agents are going to go and they're going to say, all right, we'll take a little bit less next year because we know the caps not high and they'll either negotiate one-year deals, right, or they'll negotiate three- or five-year deals that have, like, a balloon in it that they raise up when the cap goes up, right? So, you know, those are all part of the negotiation process that's so unique this year. Look at the numbers of guys around the league that are good football players, really good football players. And this is more, to me, this is more alarming. I don't care. When you look at the Saints, Jared Cook, gone. Quan Alexander, gone. Thomas Morstead, gone, right? You look at that and you go, Emmanuel Sanders, gone. Those are great football players that, that still have a lot of football left in them. But because they had such a bloated salary structure in New Orleans and those guys, like Thomas Morstead's my guy. Right. I just talked to him this morning. And but how can you justify paying him what they paid him to some games go out and punt the ball one time? Right. So guys, sacrifices have got to be made and you got to look at where your production numbers are and long term. You know, every one of those guys is what he's a veteran who's at the end of his career. And so now do you cut that guy, cut him loose. And even though he's still a good football player, do you cut him loose to create salary cap room so you can go get younger, cheaper, faster guys? It's just the business of the business. But isn't that a, isn't that a good thing that it allows oh. it, it stops one one team from dominating? Apart from the Pats, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing if you're on the right side of it. I don't think it's a good thing if you're Thomas Morstead or <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. But I this is where I think. You know, and and certainly I, I don't want to get into this because it'll it'll turn into a firestorm. But if you're in the Premiership, for example, 
and your uh, lower-level team, right, you got no chance. I mean, whatever, Leicester City or whatever it was that happened four or five years ago, that's like one in 25 years that that's going to happen. Because the salary structure and the way it the way it is, where the rich can just go out and hire all the best players. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. I don't care how good your manager is; the best players usually win the most games. And so, when when you don't have this kind of structure, where you have to you know you have to pay to a floor, so you can't be the Cincinnati Bengals and say, okay, the cap floor is one eighty. We're going to pay 160. Well, you can't do that. You got to pay the 180 at minimum. And then on the other side of it is, let's say the cap is the top of the cap is 188. Well, you can't without getting penalized severely. You can't pay over the top, and you get a draft so that everybody gets an opportunity theoretically to succeed. So that there should never be, and there still is, but there should never be teams that don't ever have a chance. Succeed, and that's and that's a good thing because if you look at someone like the I, Browns, I, if you'd have put I, the Browns, think, think, it, if you'd have put the Browns in the Premiership, they'd have been they'd have been in the bottom league by now. They've been relegated several times, whereas now they've got themselves on the way back, and they actually had quite a good season last season. Yeah, and I mean, think about the, the Bill, the the Buffalo Bills would have been the same same team, yeah. right? And it wasn't that yeah. long ago, fellas, that the Kansas City Chiefs would have been that team. Right. Or, or Tampa. So, Tampa. One, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Tampa. I mean, there's on and on and on. We can talk about the teams that have made the Titans. And, and I mean, there are teams that have risen up through good management, good drafting, financial, you know, uh, restraint and good evaluations on top of good coaching have risen up and, you know, are now contenders at least to go to the Super Bowl. No, definitely. Uh, Charles brought in the Cleveland Browns out, which sort of takes on to our next topic. So there was a bit of a rumour going around this week that Odell is looking at getting traded out of Cleveland again. And long behold, Mr. The Greatest of All Time, Tom Brady, is sending messages that he wants Odell in Tampa. It's like, where, where, where would another star-stud player like that fit in, or would he be a bad egg? in the Tampa dressing room. I know we said AB would be a bad egg, but would Odell upset it? Because Cleveland sort of got better when Odell went, got injured last year. Well, I think I think he's a that guy's a lightning rod topic, right? Because you seem to fall, there seemed to be no middle ground with Odell. You're either an Odell apologist or you're an Odell hater. And there seems to be little middle ground there. And, and, and frankly, his behavior creates that right uh his his on-field production when it's great it's awesome i mean he's a phenomenal phenomenal talent however the other side of the coin or the other the odell haters would say well think of the baggage he brings what does he do to your locker room yada 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 so you have to make you have to weigh all of that out when you're talking about this kind of player. You have to weigh it out with every single player, but particularly with a player like him. I, I think it's interesting because if Brady did go out and say that, and Odell's not a free agent, that's tampering because you can't you can't do those kind of things. You can't say I'd like to have that guy on our team, right? If he's under contract to somebody else. 
So I, it'll be interesting to see how the league handles that. But um, that has been denied, hasn't certainly. it? That that's been said that yeah. it didn't actually happen now. So, yeah, but I think uh, yeah. I think the thing that I think the thing that's interesting is what what Odell are you going to get? Right? Are you going to get the one that we saw with the Giants that was so productive and was such a threat to take a slant and score a touchdown, or are you going to get the Odell that I watched on tape too many times in Cleveland, where if the ball wasn't coming to him, he didn't play, he, he was lazy, he wouldn't block, you know, all, all those things. You got to make a decision when you're talking about that kind of player about which one you're going to get because we were just talking about risks, right? And well, think about the risk involved there because he's going to cost you a lot of money. And what are you going to get back on the investment? That's the question. Yeah. Do yeah. so, the, the Browns actually need him? You know, they've they've got Mike Evans who's just broken the the consecutive thousand yard receiving record. They've just tagged Godwin, and they've got players like Scotty Miller that's had a great season. Do, they, I don't even think they need him. Well, you know, again, I used to believe when I was much younger than I am now, I used to believe that you can never have too many good players. And I don't believe that anymore. You better have enough great players with, with, that are great team guys, and then you better fill in that with, with good players who are ultimate team guys, who are great teammates. Right. And you can get away with a few prima donnas with a few guys that, you know, are, you know, whatever, have baggage guys or whatever. But you better have a locker room that is really strong when you bring those guys in. And one of the reasons why the Patriots for years could go out and get a Randy Moss or get, you know, some of the guys that Dylan or some of those guys that they brought in with, sh- with, with shaky characters or shaky past was because the locker room was so strong because they were not going to allow that guy to become a divisive uh, person in the room. Now, if you've got a shaky locker room or you don't have great leadership and you bring one of those guys in, then he has the potential potential to do damage inside your room. And that's critical. You, I mean, it is... I say this all the time, fellas, and I can't stress it enough. It's not like you're playing Madden. It's not like you're, you know, collecting football cards, right? You just don't go to Madden and say, oh, give me everybody who's rated over. And I don't play Madden, but I think there's a rating system, right? Yeah. So don't, you can't just go try and get every player that's rated over 90 or get every player that's, that's, you know, get all the best players on football cards because it isn't. You got to make all those human beings and all those egos and all those agendas fit inside your room and pulling in the same direction. Can I just jump in quickly and bring you back to this discussion we had about Odell Beckham and the fact the lovers and the haters and bring the argument full circle back to Dallas, which will perk Ian up, and just say that surely there's an argument to be applied to Dak Prescott that there's just as many lovers and haters of him. Oh, I think probably, but again, but he's a nice guy. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a product of Dak or it's a product of the position that he plays. 
because the quarterback is always going to get and and this we, we've said this for 30 years the quarterback always gets far too much praise and far too much blame right that's just the nature of playing that position that's why when i talked to trent dilfer one day at at the super bowl and i asked him i said trent you know tell me about what the transition to pro football like he said jeff you just don't understand the enormity of the position right the enormity of the scrutiny that you take when you play quarterback in the national football league because everything you do positive and everything you do negative is going to get amplified like no other position on the football field right so think about it this way guys a great pass rusher will have two sacks a game. That's a good game, right? Well, they throw the ball now 40 times a game on, let's say the, the opponent throws it 40 times a game, right? Well, that means of those 40 dropbacks, you lost 38 times. You weren't good enough 38 times because you're paid to sack the quarterback, okay? So does anybody complain about those other 38 times he missed? No. But put, give, let the quarterback throw two interceptions out of 40, and everybody's ready to run him out of town. It's just the nature yeah. of the job. Yeah. Yeah, quarterbacks, definitely. We, we won many times on shows, we've won about quarterbacks. Um, leading to the next one with quarterbacks, Cincinnati are looking at building an O-line to protect Joe Burrow for the upcoming season. <clears throat> and in regards to the free agency people not getting tagged, there's a lot of offensive line players becoming available. And Cincinnati are one with a more of the cap. So if you're a Bengals, like you said about spending the cap, do you go and sign maybe a 16 million Joe Fernie or do you get a couple of the cheaper options with still the same quality and experience to protect Joe Burrow? Because at the end of the day, you drafted him last year. He's your star man and you need to give him that protection. No, no question about that. And that's a great observation, right? And I think when you, if you're, if you guys, we're all playing general manager today, right? So what we want to do is we want to look at every possible avenue to improve my team. Trades, drafts, free agency, what we call, and then there's restricted, unrestricted free agents and street free agents, right? Because there are street free agents every year that, that come in and improve teams, right? For whatever reason, there. You know, Gronk was a street free agent. He was on the street. Anybody could have signed him, right? And Tampa signed him. So you look at all of those areas, and then you put all of those ways to improve against the cap, right? So if you look at Cincinnati, and I looked at Cincinnati real quick, I think their tackles are okay. Their tackles are okay. They're not great. They're not, but they're okay. Where Cincinnati has real problems is at guard. They have to find some inside guys, right? And so now you look at all of those things. Can we trade for a guard? Is there a guard in free agency? Is there, are there guards in the, in the draft? On top of it, when you're a team like Cincinnati that has multiple needs, now you got to look at everything on the board. And say, okay, our priority is offensive linemen, but we also got to get John Ross is a, is a bust, right? AJ Green's at the end of his career. 
So we need help at receiver because we got to get this quarterback some weapons, right? So now, does that become your second priority, or is it linebacker where their leading tacklers were their safeties, which tells me the front and the linebackers aren't good enough. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got to weigh all of that out together and then do what we call stack your need. So if you're the if you're the GM and the head coach and everybody in personnel, you'll say, okay, these are our, these are our 15 needs. Now, the most pressing need is what? Let's say it's guard. Then the second most pressing need is wide receiver, and then you try and address those needs right down the line. And and I think that's the teams that do that and then factor in all the other things, like, again, what when you take that guy, what do you get? Do you get injury risk? Do you get, you know, baggage off the field? Do you get whatever, right? And then you have to make sure that it fits with your with, with what you're doing. To me, the Buffalo Bills have been the greatest example of how to build an organization in the last 10 years, right? Because that thing was terrible when they went in there. And what they do? They got rid of all those overpriced, underperforming, selfish guys, right? And they had Don, you know, they had Darius and all those guys, and they whack them all. And they brought in guys that they knew, that they trusted, that they knew loved football, and that would do it the way that they wanted to get it done. And it was a common, unified approach to what they wanted to do. And all of a sudden, the Bills go because, and part of it's they hit on a quarterback. Right. But the Bills go from a bad football team to a Super Bowl contender in four years. Right. And so why can't the Bengals do that? Why can't the Texans do that? Why can't, you know, some of these teams that are habitually bad? Well, it's probably because they don't approach it from that standpoint enough. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Like I say, you could have. Some offices are like fully planned out where some like just go for the name. They want to bring a star in because I think that's what the organisation, the fans want to see. But some fans, like I say, your Buffalo fans, they just wanted to see continuous growth and success. Yeah, and look at my Raiders. I mean, they went out and had all those flashy free agent signings a couple of years ago, right? Well, they just they cut the safety, they cut incognito, right? I mean. They, they've lost like every one of those guys that were quote the direction that they wanted to go in. They're all gone. Every single one of them's out of out of Las Vegas now, right? So what does that do for your organization? Now you got to go back in and start over, right? Yeah. And and that's not. I mean that's not good. That's, that's, that is not. And I'm a Raider fan. I, that's my team. But got to got to be honest. Yeah. You do. Um, obviously, with all the we're coming into the big time of the season, like off, off season, a lot of notable free agents hitting the market. We've got like Aaron Jones, Kenny Golday, Shaq Barrett. Any like potential good landing spots for these guys, or do we think they'll re-sign on different deal terms with the teams? Obviously, I know, I think, we know Golday's out. I, I, I think when you look at the what went on in Tampa and one of you guys alluded to about about Tampa and, and Godwin taking the cap or taking the tag, right? Well Godwin had basically advertised that he wanted to come back to Tampa and he was willing to play under the tag. And that gave that gave Tampa a huge amount of 
relief because now you've got a guy under the tag that you can put on the shelf and say he's a good player. He'll be back with us another year. We know what he's going to cost. He's, he's not going to expose himself to free agency. And we can now spend our energy on Levante David and Shaq Barrett. And now they got David done, right? And now I'm sure the focus turns to Shaq Barrett. And if they don't get Shaq Barrett done, they can go back and to Godwin and sign him on a long-term deal if that's what they think is the best situation for them. So I think that's the really good use of the tag, right? And, and smart by the player. Those other guys, I mean, I, I, if I'm Miami and you got a chance to get Aaron Jones, which is supposed to be the, the rumor, I mean, I jump, I love Aaron Jones, the football player. I've been around him a little bit, and he seems like a good guy and a team guy and tough and all the stuff you look for. I mean, he's got, he's got really unique skills as a running back. To be able to go out and play wide as a receiver, right? Well, think of all the teams that really would love to have that kind of guy in their offense. So I think he's going to be a he's a he's a really interesting one for a lot of teams. And certainly Miami has money and they have a need. That's, that's one I would certainly love to see happen. Yeah, because we say then the lot. rest. Then the rest of the rest of them can all come to the Raiders. <laughs> I know we've discussed it so often. I know me and Stuart always talk about this a lot of teams nowadays want the dual threat of a running back who can catch and it's several times we've spoke about it haven't we Stuart but yeah it's the, 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 uh, the, it's the difference between having a fullback and having somebody who you know the blocking and then you know the flats out to the flats and you know the passes and all that kind of stuff I mean, I'm lucky of being a Vikings fan that we've got Darwin Cook, who's particularly good at that kind of stuff as well. But I think Aaron Jones is a, a really good player as well. Yeah, you're, you know what? You're exactly right about Cook, and you're exactly right about what people want. You know, you want that dual threat back. But there is very, very few that can go line up as a wide receiver and function as a wide receiver. He can. It's not just you put him out there weak. And if you see that the backer goes out with him, you know it's man-to-man. And if the corner stays out there, you bring him back into the backfield and, and you know it's zone. You put him out there, and it doesn't matter where it's man or zone, he can run the routes that you need to run. He understands how to convert against, you know, cover two. He understands how to, you know, where his breaks are, if it's split, all that stuff. And that's a rare, rare guy that can function out in space like that. Not just be at a receiver position, but actually play as a receiver. With Aaron Jones, though, there's also the chance that he could, he's still got a few days that he could stay with the Packers, I guess. Or yeah, yeah, I mean, just, space again. Yeah, just, yeah, even, and, and that's a good point, because even though the guy may get to free agency, there, there's no reason that, he, that the team that he's at just gives up and walks away from negotiation. You still want to continue to compete to get that guy right it's just that the player has said he wants to test the marketplace and you say as the team that didn't tag him go test the marketplace and we'll see you know they're betting that what they're willing to offer or what the tag would have cost them is going to be is going to be a better situation for him than free agency. I, I'm not betting on that one if I'm Green Bay, but 
that's the, that's the way they saw it. Go on, Richard. Sorry, I was just going to say. I think Green Bay will be hoping that he walks away from any potential. Because I think Green Bay, their top two running backs, both hitting free market. A free agent. I'm quite happy for him to go to Dolphins as a Vikings fan. If I'm being honest. <laughs> That's another reason, guys, why free agency is so awesome. It's so incredibly awesome because you you may not have any skin in the skin in the fight, but you do because you don't want the teams in your division to get better. You want to yeah. you yeah. teams in your division to get worse. I know. I'm, so, I'm already happy. Bob's going to Detroit. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a couple of interesting weeks leading up free agency and into the draft. Um, I think what we'll do now is we'll move on to some questions for Jeff. So we've got some questions from the group and then some questions from us all. So if you, do you have one, Stu, that you want to mention? Yeah, so, I mean, my question is that, I mean, we've already touched on it, that any kind of college player in the draft is is never a guarantee but outside of Trevor Lawrence, who do you see as being that kind of next big potential superstar? Oh, man. That, I mean, there's so many of them that I think have really unique skill sets. Um, when you when you talk about players that will go early in the draft, guys that I think have – you look at them on film and they jump off the film at you and you go, wow. I mean <laughs> – so I'm talking about wow factor guys like Panay Suell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. I think he has – I don't know when I've seen a, an offensive lineman play with that kind of speed and that kind of balance and violence. And, I mean, he play. he looks like a defensive lineman playing offensive tackle, if that makes any sense to you. Because his body is a defensive he's, – he's lean, he's long. He's strong. He's violent. He can run. I mean, he is really special. I mean, he's Anthony Munoz type special. I think he's got Hall of Fame caliber skills, right? And the thing that's scary about him is he hasn't played that much college football. So his best football is still way ahead of him, right? Now, if he can develop and doesn't get hurt, and there's a million things that can happen, but I certainly think he'll come off the board in the first three picks real fast. Yeah, um, I mean, Tony Sill was the one that I kind of hit. I think he'll probably go top three as well. Yeah, and I think there's another guy, uh, when you look at the, the, the tight end pits from Florida and you see where the offenses in the NFL are going right now, and you come, you, you know, at, when when you're in scouting or per, or coaching or personnel making personnel, one of the things you you, you try and do is you, you try and talk about likes. He's like that guy. He's a like, uh, you know, like they remind you of this player or they have traits like this player, right? And when you look at Pitts, he has Travis Kelsey traits. He is really good after the catch. He's really subtle in and out of his breaks. He plays tight end like a wide receiver. He's a, he's combative as a blocker, but he's only 240-some pounds. He'll get better as a blocker. But I don't think he'll ever be an inline blocker. I think he's going to fit a role like Kel- somebody who wants a kind of guy like Travis Kelsey. There's a guy out there for you. He's really, really, really good 
running in traffic. He understands how to set guys, how to move guys, little subtle avoid techniques that he uses. He catches the ball in his hands. He's outstanding in the red zone. He's highly competitive. I mean, when you watch him, I just go, wow. And, again, I think he'll be in one of the first five picked in the draft, right? You say I, so I, I, those, are, those are two names that jump out to me. I actually think that I, I agree with you on Pitts, but I actually think he might fall. And that's purely based on team needs and what the teams actually need to draft. So I think he's got a potential to maybe fall out of that top five. I think if he does, it'll be because of the quarterback situation, right? Yeah, because that's what I mean. Zach Wilson has gone he, – He's his stock has really risen since the end of the college football season. And yeah. I think it'll continue to rise. And so you, you know that Lawrence and Wilson are going to be two of the top five, right? Sewell will probably be three of the top five. Now, can Pitts slot in there with – you know, the quarterback from Ohio State with you know, the receiver from Alabama. There, there's, But if, if Pitts falls below five, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think Pitts has top five ability. Yeah, but yeah. If, if people say, you know, because where you're drafted, I mean, Aaron Rodgers was drafted at what pick, you know? And he fell, but he has, you know, top five ability. He's proven that. Right. Isaiah Wilson was drafted 29th in the in the whole draft. Right, and he played three plays on offense as a, as is a rookie. He has a chance to be the biggest bust in draft history. Right. So where you're drafted is really not important to me. What matters to me is what your potential what your potential productivity is. Because I thought Isaiah Isaiah Wilson was a huge gamble by Tennessee, and it proved out that he was, and a, and a, and a bad gamble, too, you know, because, it, he, again, he, there just there were so many questions and red flags around the kid. Yeah. Jeff, just going back to what you said about Zach Wilson, Ralph Neiser, um, what about the Jets? What do you think they'll do in the draft? Will they go with a quarterback, leaving, well, leaving I, Darnold on? I, I, I was talking to a guy that has both played quarterback in the National Football League, been an offensive coordinator in the National Football League, and head coach twice in the National Football League. And I asked him that very question today, and his response to me was that if he was the Jets, he would keep Darnold and draft a quarterback. Right? Now, what's interesting is he didn't say, he didn't say what round he'd draft him, and he didn't say would he take that second pick in the draft and trade down for like the ninth pick or wherever and another second rounder because they think that the quarterback, let's say from North Dakota State, right, who will probably be in there somewhere, will be available to them. And that way they can say, okay, we'll, we'll improve the quarterback room and we'll go out and get a really good player in the second round because there's going to be some guys in the second round that are maybe as good a players potentially in, in their career as some of those quarterbacks are, but the quarterbacks always are going to get overdrafted. Always. Yeah. Yeah, right? Definitely. So that's, that's, that's the intrigue of this thing. That, and, and really the Jets are in control in my mind 
because obviously the best pick to have in the draft is the first pick to have in the draft. But the net, but the, the best pick after that is the second pick, right? And what what you do with that pick now matters. And I'm if I'm Wall or if I'm the GM in, in the Jets right now, I'm I'm talking to everybody about you know that I, I'm telling everybody that pick is not you know locked in. We we like it. We like a guy, but I want to hear what you have to say. What can you what can you what can you do to get my second pick yeah definitely because there's going to be some teams that are they're they're gonna it happens every year guys they're gonna be some teams that fall in love with somebody right i mean absolutely fall in love with somebody and they're willing to do almost anything except you know bring a gun to get that guy right so if you if if somebody comes to you Maybe it's drafting. If somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, we're going to give you a first round. I will give. We'll trade first rounders. We'll give you a second rounder, a fifth rounder, and a second rounder next. Whatever, right? And it's too good a deal to pass up. Then you better be able to have a plan of how you would use that if it happens, right? You can't just like part of this whole thing is every one of these teams." is looking at all different possibilities. I can't tell you how many times, guys, when you go into the draft, you go through scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario of what do we do if, right? And they'll have it, they'll have it well thought out. They'll, and, and it's, there's, so much, there's so much misinformation that gets disseminated into the media by the clubs as they get closer and closer to the draft because they want to, you know, they may say, uh, let's say you got a player coming back off of an injury. Oh, well, everything that's going to be talked about to the media is going to be that player is ahead of schedule. Right. And then all of a sudden you see them to trade that player. Right. Or, you know, we're, we, we love this guy. We're going to take this guy and you know, you're not going to take him but you're trying to get somebody else to jump above you and take that guy to free the guy that you really want. So, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, as we say in Hawaii, Portuguese judo that goes on in the, <laughs> in the final run of the draft. we um, got a Cardinals fan in the group and he's wondering what your opinion is on the Cardinals upcoming season. He's hoping for a 10-6 and six season and mm. hopefully keep all the Patrick Peterson along with obviously bringing J.J. Watt in. The Cardinals have strengthened the position in the NFC West, but it's always a tough division. So, just wondering your opinion, Jeff, on the Cardinals. Well, I think you know. Again, you make a good point. They, they, they I think they've bettered themselves because I think when you bring JJ Watt, you know, you you make yourself football team better. He's still got. I don't think he's the JJ Watt that we saw a few years ago uh, because he's had injury and some other things. But he's still a very good player. He's a great leader. He's a great toughness guy. He's He'll be good in the community. It's a lot of reasons why, right? I think what they what happens with Hassan Reddick is really going to be important, right? I think having Watt is going to help Chandler Jones. It's going to help that whole defense. Um, where I'm not convinced with the Cardinals yet, and, and you guys will probably go, oh, my God, are you kidding me? You know where I'm not convinced with the Cardinals yet is a quarterback because I don't know – 
like I see, I see what everybody sees. I see the flash plays. I see the flash throws. I see the, but I also see sometimes where it just doesn't, you know, he's not grown like I think he should have grown in those two years in the league. Now, part of that, he didn't have preseason games his second year. He didn't have OTAs. He didn't have coaching sessions. He didn't have all that stuff. But that offense has got to take a step. You know, everybody complains about the Cardinals' defense, but I think that offense is very hit and miss. And you got one of the top five receivers in football out there, and you better find ways to get him the football. And there were games in last year where, I mean, they just wouldn't throw the ball. I mean, you look at the Ram game. I mean, and obviously everybody says, well, that was because of Jalen Ramsey was trailing him. That's not the case because you go back in and look at the game. Jalen Ramsey was only on him about 30% of the time. And the other times, he didn't get the ball. you got to find ways to get your best players the football. Uh, but I think the potential is there in, in Arizona. I think they need another great draft, and they, I think they need another great free agency. And their quarterback's got to keep, keep drawing. Excellent. Um, also, if you could start a franchise, Jeff, this season – and you could pick one quarterback and one non-quarterback player to be the face of your franchise in the start, who would you choose and why? Boy, I tell you, if I, if it was, if it was, take, if I was going to take a quarterback right now to be the guy that I want to pin, pin my hopes on, I would I would say Aaron Rodgers. Um, I, I just I, – I, I, you see what he has been able to do, guys – Two years ago, he takes his team to the NFC Championship, and he's got one player to throw to. I mean, really, that's the fact of the matter. And then this year, it was a little bit better, but he still elevates everybody around it. Um, I feel bad for him because I think if he had the talent that some of the other quarterbacks in the league have, the elite quarterbacks, can you imagine putting him in Kansas City's offense or Tampa Bay's offense? No. That's not to knock Patrick Mahomes, and that's not to knock any of those guys. <clears throat> but I just think Aaron Rodgers is, is incredibly special. If it wasn't Aaron Rodgers, it would be Patrick Mahomes. And the only reason I say Patrick Mahomes is because he's younger, right? And, you know, if you're building a franchise, you want a younger guy. Uh, at a non-quarterback position, the guy that I would probably say it would be Aaron Donald defensively because he either Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey those are guys that are generational talents at their position that change the way the game is played right Jalen Ramsey gives you flexibility that no other corner in, in the league in my opinion gives you right he does some things that other guys can't do Aaron Donald's the same guy on the defensive front it's a little easier to scheme Aaron Donald than it is to scheme Ramsey because Jerry Glanville told me this when he drafted Deion Sanders. He said the reason they drafted Deion Sanders first was in their minds, Deion was going to take a whole half of the field. He was in, back in those days where they had a receiver on one side and a receiver on the other side, they were just going to put Deion on one side and say, you got that guy and everybody else is going to play around you. That's the kind of ability that Jamin Ramsey had. 
Can I just take you back to something as, as I keep doing? Take you back to something you said about Aaron Rodgers and elevating the uh, the players around him. I just had a, uh, read a little interesting thing today because there's all sorts of rumours about whether Aaron Rodgers will stay at Green Bay this season or he'll go somewhere where perhaps people appreciate his talents a bit more. But there was a, a, there's been a bit of noise about them again trying to sign Will Fuller from the Texans. And one of the one of the, the, the sort of subtexts of that was that they would guarantee Aaron Rodgers was staying if Will Fuller would come to the Packers. I don't know if you've heard that. No, I, I hadn't heard that, but Will Fuller would be a great addition to them, you know? Uh, what I see in Green Bay is, you know, scandling that young receiver that they have out there that can run so well. He's such an inconsistent catcher. And um, I, I think there's a place for him. But he's a, he remind you know, who he reminds me of is uh, Teddy Ginn, you know? A guy that's got great speed, great length, but sometimes, you know, you, he's going to drop. He's going to have a drop at the wrong time, right? You can live with those guys. You can, there's a place for those guys, but they can't be your number two. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, if Devontae Adams is your number one, your number two has got to be a reliable guy, right? You look at the situation you've got in Minnesota, right? You can argue... Jefferson may be the number one now, right? And, you know, uh, but you got a reliable number two that you can go to if the, if the number one is getting doubled. I would not want to go to Scandling in pressure situations if I can't get the ball to Adams. You need somebody who can do that. And then you look at some of those other guys. They're big, tall, long. They, they're great-looking guys. But... They don't. They sometimes they don't make plays, and sometimes making a play is just knowing what to do. Like in the in the playoffs, Rodgers sees uh, an adjustment that needs to be made outside. And I'm trying to think what the young receiver out of I think he went to Kansas State that he that he had the big tall kid. Um, Sim Brown. He doesn't see it. Pardon me. Was it Sim Brown? No, St. Brown went to Notre Dame. I'm trying to think. I think this one kid went to Kansas State. Um, but anyway, the guy doesn't see it, and Rodgers almost hits him in the head with the ball. And if the guy looks, it's a touchdown, and the game changes, right, potentially changes. Those kind of mistakes are just as egregious as drop, maybe more so, right? And so he, I think a veteran guy who can, particularly because I think Fuller gives him some verticals, stuff i think that would be a great great get if you can get him and i'm not a huge will fuller fan but i think compared to what green bay has right now that would be a huge get you saw the jekyll and hyde character of uh scantling in the i think it was the uh, divisional round when two two long wide open plays catches one drops the other neither was yeah, neither, that's, that's, neither one was more difficult than the other that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But see, that's where you can have a guy like that, right? And and you need a guy like that has his vertical take the top off of its speed. And you can live a little bit with those drops if he's not the number two, right? If he's if, if his role okay, I'll give you I'll give you a case in point. 
I coached a kid at SMU who was exactly that guy, except he wasn't that tall. His name was Aldrich Robinson, right? And Aldrich played in the league probably eight or ten years. He played in Atlanta when they went to the Super Bowl. He played in San Francisco, right? And then he finished his career in Minnesota. And he was that guy. He had over-the-top speed but was just an inconsistent finisher, right? But he was able to play in the league for about eight years because there was he didn't need to be the number two. He needed to be that guy. Like when, when, when they were really going in Atlanta and they went to the Super Bowl, he was about the number four. But when he went on the field, he changed things because everybody had to go, uh-oh, you know, whether he can catch it or not catch it, you're still going to have to try and cover him. You're not going to take the chance, that, unless he's really bad, that you say, well, let's not cover him because he can't catch anyway. Definitely. Um, looking like this season will have the 17th game added in, Jeff. Do you think to allow this to fit in, they'll push the Super Bowl back a week or potentially drop the Pro Bowl out of this calendar? What do you think the thinking well, going to do? I'll tell you what. If it if it if it's move the pro bowl or get the drop the pro bowl, right? I'm gonna be like I'm in uh, one of those Central American countries where you can vote nine times. I'm gonna go in and vote ten, right? Because, because that is the biggest waste of time yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Now beyond that, I think with the seventeenth game. I think what may happen is you'll get another bye week, and I think we're going to get the Super Bowl shoved back. I really do. Because the NFL knows now. Remember, the NFL knows it's about revenue generation. And the longer they can make that season, the more dollars they got coming yeah. in for everybody. Oh, yeah, I, I, I definitely wouldn't mind the Pro Bowl coming out. They can do something virtual on Madden or something to decide who wins it. For, for I well, you know what? That, that thing that... That that thing they did with SpongeBob SquarePants or whatever it was, the, the slime and all that stuff, they can play that thing. That, that'd be better than Pro Bowl. Um, obviously, some good news in Europe this week that the European Football League agreed with the NFL to bring back Frankfurt Galaxy and the Hamburg name into the European League. So, obviously, there's a lot of progression. It's not NFL Europe, but it's keeping like the rich name of the Frankfurt Galaxy going. And it's definitely. I think it's- I think that's fantastic, and dang it, they ought to get a they ought to get a team in in uh, England someplace and call them the English Monarchs and get a team in Scotland and they can be the Scottish Claymores and let's go. Yeah, yeah, but we're not doing that. We're getting our own franchise from America, aren't we? <laughs> well, I didn't say. Hey, 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 hey. Notice, I didn't say London. I said somewhere in the UK, right? <laughs> because here's here's what I think's coming, guys. There's going to be a day. Where whether it's Manchester or whether it's you know that beautiful stadium in Wales or you know any of these places that are being built now, they're going to say, "Hey, we want to we want to have a game. We want to have a team, right?" And there's as the game as when you guys do what you do, like you think, "Well, this is you know you are impacting the game, right?" Because you're growing fans. And the more fans grow, the more the fans grow, the more the number grows, the more the people watch the television broadcast, the more they listen to podcasts like yours, the more the, 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 the appetite for the league gets stronger. And the NFL pays really close attention to that. So 
you know, who's to say that one day we don't have, why can't we have two teams in England or in the UK, right? Mm. That's the way I think. I know a lot of other people think that way, but that's the way I think. It's going back to your point before, isn't it, Jeff? The NFL look at the revenue. <laughs> and yeah. you can see how much I mean, money they're, they're getting business. from Europe. I, let's, let's, I, I remember when I went to the National Football League offices in New York the first time. And you come in the door and there's a security check. And then you got to go up, you know, let's like, I don't know, 10 or 12 floors, right? And as I kept going upstairs, I realized there really aren't a lot of football guys in this building. There's a lot of guys that understand marketing and accounting and promotions and, you know, all, a lot of lawyers and a lot of MBAs. And, and I thought to myself, I, you really get it when you get in that building. It's they're selling football. They're selling this game, this beautiful, awesome, incredible game that we all love so much. And that's not wrong. That's, that's the way it should be. So how do you think the NFL teams would fancy coming to, I was going to say London, but I'll say England, eight, eight, or, nine times a, eight I, or nine times a season? You know, you're going, to, you're going to hear pushback all the time. But you know what? If you show them the dollars and cents of it, they won't push back. You know, the coaches will, right? The owners won't. The coaches will, the coaches are going to, let me tell you something. Coaches are going to bitch about everything, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just the way coaches are, right? But the reality of it is we coach the game, right? That's our job. And it's the job of guys way smarter than football coaches to, to ensure, ensure that the game goes on forever and that the revenues continue to grow and that 100 years from now, there'll still be a National Football League, Right in whatever form it needs to take. And so, like, for example, my role in this whole process is a very small one as a coach, right? But we're all in the process together. And so, you know, sometimes I'm going to have to do things that I don't frankly want to do or maybe even believe in, but I have a responsibility to the game to do it. Did you have some a question, Ian, in relation to follow Yeah, on? well, I've got a couple, really, but one is to do with, we touched on the World League then, and you were with the Rhine Fire at one point, weren't you, Jeff? Yep. What, what, what sort of memories do you have of that time? Oh, man, I got so many. It's so incredible. Um, you know, like, <laughs> I think about the first year we went back, which was 1994, I believe, and the league had been two years. And then they shut it down and then brought it back. And so Ryan was a new team because at the time the old World League of American Football existed, there were teams in London, Barcelona, and Frankfurt. Those were the European teams. Yeah. When we came back in 94, we added Scotland. London was still there. Barcelona was still there. Ryan Fire and Frankfurt were the team. And so... We're an expansion team, and our quarterback was Doug Peterson, or one of our quarterbacks was Doug Peterson. And one of our linebackers turned out to be um, a bigger movie star than a football star. And if you guys have ever seen uh, the movie White Chicks, there's a there's a <laughs> actor by the name of Ty, Ty Cruz who is now on TV. He's doing a one of those 
singing shows. I don't know what he's that. I don't. I don't <laughs> follow that stuff. But Ty Cruz was our starting inside linebacker, right? And so I, you go start going through your rolodex of experiences, and and you know I remember going to Scotland, and Scotland played in Edinburgh at that time, not Glasgow, and we went to the stadium, and Galen Hall, our our head coach, did this pregame deal and all this stuff, and I was up in the booth, right? And so the team goes out to go on the field, and, you know, you got to hustle up to the booth to be on the field for kickoff, right? And I, I go to the, I go, I go to the, like, ushers, the guys, that, you know, I don't know what you call them. We call them ushers. And the guys that, like, security guys in the stadium. And I, I hear the, I hear the, Scottish national anthem and the American national anthem being played, right? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta go, right? And I can't, I don't know where the, I don't know where the booth is. I saw it when we were warming up, but I don't know how to get up there, right? So I'm, I'm asking all these security guards, and you ask, I said, where's the coaching booth? And they had no idea what I was talking about, like, no idea. So nobody could, nobody could get me to the coaching booth. I ended up, it was about halfway through the first quarter when I finally got to the booth and got on a headset, and my, my boss was pissed at me, but I said, Galen, nobody knows what a coaching booth is here, right? And he said, and he told me, he goes, oh, bullshit, they speak English. I said, Galen, this ain't English. Yeah, <laughs> I used to work up there. Not at all. So, how did you become involved with Sky Sports? How did that connection come about? Um, like about every good thing that's happened in my life, by pure luck, by pure chance, um, I was working in the NFL office in London as part of the international player program and uh sky was broadcasting nfl europe games in the spring and they would use uh fox would use those broadcasts as a way to train guys that wanted to come into broadcasting troy aikman started that way moose johnson started that way baldinger started that way you know all bunches of them. So Darren Woodson was was supposed to come over and do a broadcast. And about Friday, something happened. He couldn't come over. And so because it was Friday and the game was, I think, the next day or the, on Sunday, I can't remember, they couldn't get somebody in fast enough to take his spot doing the, doing the analyst work at Scott. So Alistair Kirkwood, who was the head, was the head of – NFL in Europe at the time came over to my office and he said, "Hey, you you, you did some TV in Canada, and and I had gotten fired as the head coach in Winnipeg and did some work for TSN, which is like ESPN in Canada." And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Would you step in and do the work at do Darren's job at Sky as an analyst?" I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And to be to be honest with you, like I didn't take it as an interview or not or an audition or anything. I said, "I'm gonna have fun with this, and I'm just gonna do it as if I'm." in the pub talking football with a couple of my buddies, right? So we, we go do the broadcast, and I did not find this out until about four years later. But 
it just so happened that one of the big wigs from Fox was in England at that time. And so he put on Sky just to watch the, the broadcasting, right, just to see what the – and it was an NFL Europe game that was on, and I was doing the analyst work, right? And so they had a meeting on Monday after the game, a production meeting for everybody in sports at Sky, and they went around the table and they talked about this and that. And so they go to – they get to my guy who's the producer, Carl Bauman at the time, at Sky, and, and – uh, the guy asked me, he goes, uh, who, is that, who is that blonde-haired guy you had on the broadcast, right? And Carl, Carl goes, oh, hey, don't worry about him. It was just one time. We had, we had, a, we had to find him. Like, Sorry about him. He went Simon Peter on me, right? Like, I do not know him. I have not known him, right? And so, but the guy goes, I kind of like him. Why don't, you, why don't you keep him on? And that's how it happened. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. I've, I've got one final question as well. Now, I was doing a bit of research before you came on, as you do, yeah. looking on Wikipedia and various things. Now, uh-oh, when, uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> when, when you're on television, obviously, Neil Reynolds is quite a tall guy, isn't he? So, you know, you're stood next to him like that. What I was surprised about is, on Wikipedia, your height is listed as three foot four inches, 102 centimetres tall. That's <laughs> If if it is truly three foot, because it used to be three foot nine, so somebody somebody, somebody said I'm pretty. I'm yeah, pretty four on TV. I tell you what, I, I, I heard that. I heard that right, and yeah. so I said, I, I, so I, I looked at Wikipedia, and it was there, three foot nine. Yeah, and I just well, left it there. Somebody's left it. Yeah. Because we all know Wikipedia is true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, everything on there, baby, everything. Is <laughs> anyone? Yeah, I've got, I've got a question. I, I had two questions, and unfortunately, someone's asked them both, and it's the same person. <laughs> My second question was the three foot four. Now, so I'm having to do. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having to do this on the hoof now. So, but I've got to ask you a question. Um, how do you how do you find when you're presenting on Sky Sports as opposed to what they do in America, um, the the the, the, the analysis goes because when I watch say I watch Game Pass if I want to watch a particular team, it's, it's football 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 adverts 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 football football football. But in England we don't have the amount of adverts, so you get to do a lot more analysis on British TV. All I'm, all I'm, yeah. you find that better? I mean, I certainly do. I love it. I love it. I love it because, again, you know, we got to recognize that the reason for all the adverts on U.S. broadcasts is because they got bills to pay, right? And so when these, when these billion-dollar TV deals get made, they got to be able to pay those somehow, and so it's the advertising minutes. It's interesting. There's a fa- this is fascinating stuff that I didn't even know about until I started broadcasting. There's a battle constantly at work. The the league keeps pushing to keep the games no longer than three hours. And the average NFL game last year was like three hours and eleven minutes. So the league is constantly trying to to shave time off the time it takes to run a game. But they're not willing limit the amount of commercials because it's revenue so the pressure is 
constantly on the officials to keep the game moving fast, right? And so that that's an interesting dynamic that you don't even think about, right? And then the other thing is where I think this is my own personal hope, right? And so it doesn't mean anything. But where I hope our sky coverage will can will grow is in the area of in-depth analysis because the fans today are completely different in terms of their knowledge and understanding and appreciation of the game than it was five years ago and not even in the same ballpark what it was 10 years ago, right? Because fans know, English, the UK fan knows the game now, right? He, he, he knows the game probably close to as well as an American fan. To the average American fan, I think they know the game just as well. Now, to the American fan who may have played the game at, at a high level, a college player or whatever, they'll probably have a little bit more technical understanding of the game because they've been around it more. And I think that's where we need to go with our, with our broadcast because the feedback I continually get is that people love the stuff where we show them not only that a play worked, but how it worked and why it worked. You know, the, 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 the stuff that that telestration machine, when it works, is incredible. I mean, that thing, that thing, you can really break the game down. And I, and I keep talking to the guys at Sky, not because it's what I do. It's because I think it's what the, what the fans would like to see. Like, I think we could have a show during the week where we look at certain aspects of, of teams and why they succeed and why they don't succeed and really get into the fundamentals and the, the real why. See, it's, I was reading something fantastic today, guys. The Patriots, it's part of their playbook, and I got a hold of it, and, and you better keep that secret, but um, it's, it's their thing about how players learn, right? And one of the statements that's so true that's in that, it's in that little playbook segment is you don't really, if you, if you just know what, then you can memorize. If you know why, then you've learned, right? And so it's, it's one thing to know that the Patriots beat the Rams 17 six in the Super Bowl or whatever it was that year, 17-3. It's another thing to know why they were able to do that. How did they shut off the most prolific offense in the NFC, right? What were the schematic things that, that, did, that they did? How did this one player make this one great play? That's where I think our broadcasts need to go. And once we go there, then I think the U.K. fans will have everything that the American fans have. Yeah, and I yeah. think there's the, there's the appetite for that, though, isn't there? I think over here that would go down really I, well. I, I, I think it'd that's, be great. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. that's my personal opinion. Because every every time I see somebody on the street, right, or any time I talk to somebody that's a fan of the game, they keep saying that same thing. We wish you had more time on the on the telestration yeah. machine. We wish you, yeah. you know. How long does it take to learn to use that machine? <laughs> you know what, guys? It's really, really, um, it's very similar to what you do in coaching because I have a machine at, we have a smart board where I coach, where I work, and I can do everything on that smart board that I can do 
with the telestration machine, you know. And the one thing that you have as a coach that, that it's, 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 you don't have the ability to, like, for example, we have, uh, let me, just one second, guys, and I'll, I'll show it to you. All right. Oh, hang on. I got to sit, put this down for a second. Okay, this thing right here, this little piece, can you see that, this little piece of machinery, right, okay, that, that little thing is called, it's called a cowboy clicker, right, and it's called a cowboy clicker because the cowboys were the first one to use them, and what it does, it has a laser, it has the ability to mark a play, a replay, a slow, a play, an advance, a review, a re for, I mean, it's got everything you could want to do, right, so when I'm when I'm on the board with our players, I have this thing in my hand, which has the ability to take a laser and show it on the board, because the, the board we use is about 12 feet big, right? Because you got it, you got 50 players who are trying to look at it, and then I can also freeze it and then go up to the board and use my hand to draw on the board, right? So it's a it's a real great tool to help. It's like if you could put this on the telestration machine, you'd have everything that you could do as a coach in your meeting room. But so it's really wasn't that hard for me. The hard part is that, you know, we do live TV. We don't do like NFL Network does where, you know, they, they get, you get three, uh, you know, you, okay, well, that wasn't good enough. Come back yeah, let's and do it again. again. Right? Yeah. We, when we're live, we're live in front of God in Dallas, Texas. I mean, there's nobody. Be, I mean, everybody sees. And so you get up there, and I, I, tea, I mean, I bust Neil's hump all the time because I'll get up at that board, and it used to be Neil would go up there with me, but because of COVID, I had to go up by myself, right? Neil was back sitting down on the sofa. And I'm at the board, and all of a sudden, if that thing stops or fails, which it does on occasion, you're up there, and you got, I mean, it's like there's no safety net. Right. And so I'm up there at the board trying to get this thing to work and trying to work my way through the process, through the process without looking like a complete bozo. Right. And I can hear Neil on the couch just giggling <laughs> because he knows I'm dying. Jeff, will you do us a favor and send Richard a photo of that device? Because I think it's something our, our three, our three listeners will be really interested in. <laughs> No, I'm serious. You know what? You can buy these things. You can buy them and put them into your computer, and then you would have the ability to do the same thing I can do. That's for next season for us. Yeah. All right. Um, do you, lad, just for we asked another question, do you lads all know that's a Cowboys clicker? Yeah? Because Cowboys always lead the way. Uh, yeah. You know what? <laughs> you know, do, you know who, do you know who Gil Brandt is? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, he's a friend of mine. And you know what? If you ever sat down with Gil Brandt and, and got him to talk about the Cowboys in the 60s and 70s. I've, I've read some really, of the books. Yeah. The, and I don't know whether any of these guys now. Yeah. Some of the draft, the, the way they have the draft values is when, the, you know, when they're trading for draft picks. The method of doing that was all devised by Gil Brandt. He did that in the 60s, didn't you, Jeff? Everything that you see, not everything you see today, but so many of the things yeah. that you see today in the National Football League are directly descendant from two schools of thought. Number one was Paul Brown with the old Cleveland Browns and the Cowboys in the 60s. 
Yeah. And, you know, it, it, we owe an awful lot to those guys who really upgraded the, this game. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, look, fellas, it's been, an, it's been awesome. I got to run because I got to fix, fix lunch for my wife. No. You know that saying, happy, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> no, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thanks for coming on board again, Jeff. It's been great, Jeff. Time. Really enjoyed it. Always my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Next time Thank we'll do you, it in the pub. Next time yeah. in the pub in England. Right. Next time at pub. All right, you're on. Yeah, it's a deal. <laughs> Aloha. Sonny in. Sonny in. Hola. Bye. Hola. Cheers, Bye. Jeff. Bye. Well, someone's got to say something now. Well, yeah, well, we've got Ian's interesting fact for the week, haven't we? <laughs> to end yes, the show. I can't, believe, I can't believe he asked my two questions. Yeah, that three foot four inches off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saving that up. Right, there's, I'd like to see if any of you can name the two receivers with the most catches to the name over the age, over age 40 or over. What, what are they, are 40 now or that were 40 when they had the catches? When, when they made the catches, yes. Mm, interesting. Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice was the top one with a 185. Yeah, I would have said Jerry. The other one is a little bit more obscure, obscure the second place one. I'm willing to bet... Drinks all night if we go to the pub to meet Jeff. For everybody, you don't get it. Over forty. Yeah. Charles has just gone to go and have a look on internet yeah, on the side got, screen. Charles has gone to live, live broadcasting. I have to go and sort something out. I don't know. Anyway, I'm out. Of, I'm out of guessing. Yeah, I, I, I had Jerry Rice, but I'm a bit stumped on this one. And I don't. We could have a four-hour podcast. Just, you, and still, you could, still get still it. Still won't get it. I don't think. It's the second place one is Brett Favre because he won. He, he's in the second place number is one. He had one catch because <laughs> he. I mean, it was one where he threw the ball. It deflected up in the air. And he caught it behind him. But if you ever look in the record books, he is the second place receiver. Behind but, Jerry uh, Rice. Behind Jerry Rice, yeah. And funnily enough, I know his first ever completed catch in the NFL, Brett Favre, was to himself as well. Same thing. His first ever throw was, an inter- was a pick six, and then his second one was a throw to himself, weirdly. Yeah, I was just trying to think of players that have played at over 40. And I yeah, I, yeah. How often do receivers play to over forty? It just doesn't happen, does it? Well, I knew Jerry did, and then yeah. to be honest, I I, I knew Farvad, but I I completely glossed over it because he throws it, he don't catch it. No. I, I, I won't lie. I was thinking of um, people off Madden there from Ultimate Team, all these legends to bring back to see if I could think of one, but <laughs> no, I've been going forever. Thinking that that I was actually thinking um, all linemen. Because they tend to play quite late, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, okay, there might be an old lineman somewhere that's played until he was 40 and done like one of them cheeky little trick players where they get an old lineman and something ends up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could, it, you know, it could have been a, a kicker on a fake play, couldn't it, somewhere? Yeah. 
Good question. Like it. Yes, it's a good one. Interesting. I, I, right, I for Jim, because he'll be back right. next week doing the same. I will. <laughs> you, Ian always brings something special. Do you need to listen to the old episodes where you used to come back with with, with Dictionary Corner? Yeah, Dictionary Corner. And the uh, Americanisms that I didn't like, like winningest. Oh, <laughs> You actually said that wrong, uh, Richard. It's actually Dick Corner. Dick Corner, yeah. <laughs> um, so, obviously, we've had Jeff on tonight. Next week, we are going into the realms of a bit of a fantasy preview for the upcoming season. So, we have um, James Cole joining us from America. So, obviously, we'll have a look at who could be a fantasy bust next year, current and, to Stuart's point, any of these rookies who are going to come through because... Me and Ian were talking about this earlier. A lot of NFL fans now see fantasy bigger than the game on the Sundays. Yeah, well, we'll get to discuss all that next week because yeah. I've spoken to Ian about this, so I've got a few uh, Yeah, few but say. definitely a lot of people take it more seriously than the games now. Yeah. As, as opposed to somebody on here who, as soon as we've had the draft in the fantasy... He's messaging everybody saying, can we trade? Can we trade? That, yeah, but that's... Do it. <laughs> a stone gathers no moss. <laughs> and, and I'm sure Stuart has got, has got a week now to think of a food-related question for, for James because James still remembers the cheese question from two years ago. I don't worry. Don't you worry, Richard. <laughs> I will have my question. Uh, Again, thanks, guys, for your time this week, and we'll see you all next week. Cheers, lads. Speak to you later. Cheers, see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said done.